recently I saw the title of a book, and I've not read the book. I intend to, but I like the title, so I borrowed it. It's a book by Leroy Imes called uh, How to Stay Off the Casualty List. And that's what I want to speak to you about tonight. You know, I've uh, lived during the time in which our nation has been in two wars, in Korea and Vietnam, and I know one of the things that I always listened for on the news was a casualty list and how many of our boys were killed. And you know, one of the things you always want to do during battle is stay off the casualty list. <clears throat> now, that's not your only objective. You want to win the war, but uh, one of the things that you want even more than that is you want to stay off of the casualty list. And so that's what I want to speak to you about tonight. Now, before we really delve into this, I want to say to you tonight that there are two groups of people here basically tonight, <clears throat> two groups in God's eyes. And before it's over, I want to say something to both of you. One is the group of Christians. There are those of you here tonight <clears throat> who have committed your life to Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the line, you heard the story of Jesus, of his, <clears throat> of his birth and his, of his life and his death, on the cross for your sins and the resurrection, and you came to the point where you really believed he was what he claimed to be, that he really was the Son of God. And so somewhere along the line, you've made a commitment of your life to him. Now, there's also a second group of people here tonight, and those of you here who have never made a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, perhaps you, like Mark, grew up going to church. You've been to a lot of perhaps even religious activity. Maybe you've been a very, very good person as far as the world's concerned all your life. But you have never come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you've never invited Him to come into your life. Now, if you've never done that, regardless of whatever else you are, you are not a Christian. The Bible is very clear about what it takes to become a Christian. And I hope that you will come to a point where you'll commit your life to Him. I so hope you'll do that. And there's no better way to start into university life than having the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Now, to both groups, I want to say something. The Bible is very clear that Satan is out to destroy you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I think one of Satan's great hunting grounds is a university campus. He prowls around the campus looking for those whom he may devour. Now, you're in a battle, and all your life you're going to battle against three great enemies. And these enemies, first of all, are Satan himself. There is a spiritual unseen world out there and Satan is very alive and well, and he is only aggressive, and he is trying to destroy you. But there is a provision made against Satan for the Christian. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus Christ, who is in the Christian through the person of the Holy Spirit, is greater in power, and he has authority over Satan. Now, the Bible also clearly teaches that you can resist Satan, and you're told to do so. The Bible says that if you will resist him, he will flee from you. Now, he can tempt you, but he cannot make you do anything. 
And the Bible gives you that great promise that if you will resist him, he will flee from you. So there's another great enemy apart from just Satan himself, and that is the flesh. I'm not talking about blood and bones. I'm talking about that nature which you receive from Adam. The Bible says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, talking about Adam, and as a result of his choice in the Garden of Eden, every person who's been born since that time, apart from Jesus Christ, has also chosen to sin. We are born with a bent or a lean towards sin, with a sin nature. And all your life, you're going to fight that sin nature. Even once you become a Christian and you allow the Holy Spirit to live within you still, Satan will tempt you, and if you will allow your flesh to control you, your life can be destroyed. And I think especially at your age, you're going to experience tremendous uh, appetites, physical appetites, sexual appetites. But there is an answer also for the flesh. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee youthful lust. Now you resist the devil, but you flee lust. In Genesis 39, 9-12, when David was tempted by an immoral woman, the scriptures say, or Joseph, excuse me, when he was tempted, the scriptures say that he ran. He got out of there. <clears throat> now it's interesting to see what he did. When he was tempted with the flesh, he fled. Now, <clears throat> young people, you need to realize that you're not going to be able to stand up against the flesh in your own power. The Bible says of David in Acts 13:22, God says, I have found David, a man after my own heart, who shall fulfill all my will. Now, I don't know of very many people that God ever said about him, he is a man after his own heart. And yet one day, this man of God saw a woman bathing. He was tempted. He had her brought to his palace. He committed adultery with her. He had her husband killed, sent to the front of the battle and the soldiers to withdraw from him and had him murdered. And he did it all. And later when Nathan went to him, when God sent Nathan to him, he said, David, you did it in secret. Now, let me tell you. He did it in secret except for one thing. God knew. And God always knows. And I want you to know that if here's a man after God's own heart that one day falls into sin, you don't have much of a chance unless you really learn to trust God. Now, there's a third battleground, and that is the world. The Bible speaks of Satan. It speaks of the flesh, and it also speaks of the world. And in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You're commanded by God not to love the world. And many of you here can be wiped out by this one. You'll have the, the temptation to begin to love money, to love prestige. Most of you here tonight would be very sad if you thought... God was leading you somewhere where he could greatly use you, but where you would not make a great deal of money. You know, the last letter Paul ever wrote has a very, very sad verse in it. It's a verse about a fellow by the name of Demas, and it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And here's what Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. 
Now, one thing you need to get straight in your life, you use things. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, God has given you all things richly to enjoy. God is the one who has provided all the beautiful and wonderful things that we can enjoy, but you're never to love them. You're to love God, you're to love people, and you're to use things, but you're never to set your affection on things. Now, wouldn't you love to have the privilege of being an intimate friend with the great Apostle Paul? If you could have lived at that day and time, wouldn't it have been great to be the friend of perhaps the greatest Christian that ever lived? And see, Demas had that privilege. But over a period of time, Demas decided that he wanted something else. He probably thought like this. Here was Paul, and he probably thought, why hang around this old geezer? He's just going to wind up in prison anyway. You know, there ought to be something better in life than hanging around this man of God who basically lives to get the message of Jesus Christ out. And so the day came when the going got rough. Demas forsook, forsook Paul. I don't think Demas ever dreamed that someday it would be recorded in the best-selling book of all times, the book that is read by more people in the world than any other book of any time in the Bible, and it would be recorded of him that he was a deserter, and deserted perhaps the greatest Christian that ever lived. And oh, what great rewards he missed in eternity in order to have a few things here and now. Suppose he got them, and maybe he had them for 30 years. What if Demas lived 30 years after Paul was killed. Do you think that what he gained for 30 years is worth all that he's lost in eternity forever? Young people, you need to get your perspective straight. The university is supposed to be a place of learning, but it needs to be a place in which you learn to get your perspectives and see things as God sees them. Now, we enjoy things, and God's going to give you far more in life than you ever deserve. You'll have many good things, but you're never to love those. And one of the things you'll have to fight all your life is loving the things of the world. And that will be one of your great enemies. Now, what can you do to keep from falling on the field of battle? Keep from falling to Satan or to the flesh or to the world? Now, there are some things that can help you. To a very large degree, you can ensure your future. You do not know all that will happen, but I will promise you there is a way in which you can ensure your future. Now, a few days ago, our family got another car, automobile. And so I called my friendly insurance friend, Jack Combs, and so he comes over to the house the other night, and uh, we purchased some insurance. Now, one of the reasons I did that is because I don't want to get in a position at a later time where I'm caught unprepared. And so therefore, realizing what could happen, I purchased some insurance. Now let me tell you, young people, you can insure to a very large degree your future. Now, in this nation today, about one out of two marriages will end in divorce. Our nation is just to the point almost where it's one out of two marriages will end in divorce. That means that can be a very, very good possibility for you. 
I mean one out of two. You don't have to be able to even count too well, but you count you and your neighbor. And if you're, if you're just normal people, either you or the person next to you is going to wind up during their lifetime in a divorce. And some of you have come out of homes like that, and you know the agony and the pain as a result of that. Now, let me tell you, I believe to a high degree of accuracy you can insure against that. I really believe you can. I don't believe that you just have to think, well, that's the way it goes. I believe almost every person under the sound of my voice can someday marry and stay married. But you're going to have to get some insurance against divorce. And there is some. And I want to say to you that if you hang around the BSU, that's one of the things we really try to help you with. Learning some principles. You see, most people, before they ever get married, they already have in their character the seeds of divorce. There are already those character flaws there that are going to cause them someday to get a divorce. It's not that just something happened to that marriage. There was something in their character long before they ever married that eventually is going to cause that divorce. Now, let me tell you, there's insurance against that. And if you stay around here before God, one of the things we try to do at the, at the BSU is build insurance into your life against some of the things that will cause you such heartache later. Divorces don't just happen. Usually, they are planned for long in advance because people do not have the character to be able to build a lasting relationship. Now, let me give you some things that I think are some insurance policies you can take out. The first one is Christian fellowship. You need to decide that you will be a part of a vital Christian fellowship while you're at OU and for the rest of your life. You will never live long enough not to need to be in a vital Christian fellowship. You need to learn to, and, and you need to spend time with people of like heart, people who also treasure some of the same values that we treasure. And you need to be around those people. You need to be with young men and women who have set their heart to work with God, to walk with God. You will not make it alone. God did not intend for you to be a Lone Ranger Christian. I mean, at least Lone Ranger had Tonto. <laughs> and you need someone. Now, even in the way God designed us, he did not give us all the spiritual gifts. No one Christian has all the spiritual gifts. One of the reasons for that is so God would make us be dependent on, on each other and put us in a body where we needed each other. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say because I don't want to be misquoted. And I've struggled with what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I believe it's right. And I made a decision a number of years ago as far as my life is concerned. I want to stand for what, is, what I believe is truth and what I believe is right and let the chips fall where they will. Now, before you become defensive or decide that you'll never set foot in a BSU again, I want you to listen carefully. I see students every year who give no priority to their need for Christian fellowship. They come to the university 
and their first consideration is not for a spiritual fellowship, but for a social fellowship. So they go join a fraternity or a sorority, and they never give a second thought to their spiritual fellowship. They do not think about the fact that when you're a university student, you have limited time. You must go to class and study if you're to prepare yourself for life, and you have limited time for other activities. And if you give considerable time, which you will, if you're in a social organization like that, I promise you, you will give untold hundreds of hours. If you're in a fraternity or sorority, and when you do that, you likely will not be a part of another vital Christian fellowship because you won't have time. I mean, we see it every year. There are people that could not be here last night because they had another obligation or Tuesday night for freshman ministry team. And so you do not get the training that you need. You are not going to arrive at being a great Christian. You don't receive that by osmosis. You, great Christians become who they are because of the hard choices they make along the way and because of the priorities that they set. Now, don't misunderstand what I've said. I have not said that you can't be a member of a fraternity or sorority. There are a few exceptions, and I know some people who have been a member of a fraternity or sorority and have also made uh, their spiritual life very, very important and have had a ministry there. But let me tell you, they are very, very few because of your time. When you go to school, you study, you do the things you have to do to live because you're a person, and then you are a member of an organization that takes a great deal of your time. You do not have time, most of you, for two tremendously demanding organizations. And I'll tell you for sure, BSU, if you're a part of us, will take some of your time because we believe it takes time to train someone. See, Barry Switzer doesn't say to the guys at football practice, well, fellas, now we normally work out at three. But if you need a nap, if you were up late the night before, but if you don't have anything to do, Jamal Holloway, we'd appreciate you showing up at three. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't be out there a week from Saturday hooting and hollering if we had that kind of football team. Now, let me tell you, folks, it takes some time. You don't arrive at being a person, a godly person. You will not arrive at being the kind of a mate when you go into marriage, but what you give some time and you learn some things. Now, you're going to have plenty of time for study. You're going to have plenty of time for other things. But let me tell you, if you make spiritual fellowship the most important fellowship you're in, you know what you're going to find? You're going to have a lot of social contact. And you will have more fun than a barrel of monkeys. And I know students that have come and they've been a part of a freshman ministry team. And they've had fun, and they've gone on retreats, and they have had a blast. They have not lacked in their social life, and they've grown. And I remember when Boyd and Pam were on that, and now know where they are because they made some choices. Now, I'm just saying to you, and don't you misunderstand me, you've got to decide what's most important to you. If you can do both, God bless you. But if you can't, you better decide what's most important. If you're a freshman, I would highly encourage you to be a part of the freshman ministry team. I don't care what your church background or what your denomination is. I think here 
because I know Bobby and I know the people at Linda and others that will work with you and the students who will do everything they can to help you to become a person who learns how to walk with God and so that you can live a meaningful, successful life. If you're a sophomore up, I would highly encourage you to be a part of the discipleship team. I would encourage every one of you to make time every week for a weekly Bible study. If you're a commuter, you can come see us. We're going to have some studies. We have them in the dorms. Another thing you'll find in fellowship and that you desperately need is you need accountability. You are not ready to take on the world alone. You're just not. You're not ready to do what you jolly well please. You need some other older Christian, not someone who will smother you, not someone who's going to take away your freedom, but someone who will love you and encourage you and hold you to the highest. Someone that may ask you how you're doing in your quiet time and are you reading the Bible and praying, but someone who will help you. And you know, I could stand here tonight and tell you story after story of people that at one time perhaps had a life that was really counting and now they're on the dump today because they were not accountable. They would not stay in a fellowship They would not let anyone help them. There's that strong independence, and a lot of you grew up like that. You've come from churches where you have never been asked to do anything in your life but attend. And no one has ever held you accountable. And no one has loved you and prayed for you and helped you with weaknesses in your life and to build strengths. And let me tell you, you need to be a part of a fellowship where there's some accountability. And one of the things we try to do here is have accountability upward and downward where eventually there's someone over you who's praying for you and watching out for your soul and then where eventually you're reaching down and trying to do that with someone else. And I want you to understand one thing about training. I've mentioned that. Some of you may say, well, what is training? Because perhaps in certain areas you've you've not had that spiritually. I'm talking about where someone will help you to learn biblical truth. What does the Bible, what are the principles that would help regulate your dating life? You say, well, the Bible didn't speak of dating. Maybe they didn't do it at that time. That's true. But let me tell you, there are many principles that relate to dating. Many of them. You need to know what they are. You need to figure out what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. You need to learn truths, vital truths about how to handle your finances about how to relate to your roommate. Some of you think uh, when you get married, it's going to be all different than like it is living with your roommate. And you're going to find that some of the same principles that govern that relationship are going to help you in marriage. And so we want to help you in many, many of these areas. And so I've said that one of the insurance policies you can buy is that a fellowship, a fellowship in which you're also accountable, where it's not just we come and we uh, drink Cokes and... Uh, and we eat popcorn, but where there's training, where there's someone helping you, watching over your life and praying for you. There's another insurance policy that you need, and that's of your own devotional life. You know, I heard a man of God say, in fact, is you're going to get to hear him in a few weeks. Gene Moore is going to be coming in two weeks to speak in Vespers. Charlie Riggs, who heads the Billy Graham follow-up team, has traveled around the world with Billy Graham for probably 25 years, said he's the greatest Christian that I have ever met. I think he has the greatest ministry of any layman I've ever met anywhere in the world. And he said, I've traveled 
and seen some of the great Christians of the world in the last 25 years. I remember Gene Moore saying on one time, Max, I've never seen a man, and I've had a lot of men to come into my office, and they're having spiritual problems, and this guy's been running around on his wife, and this type thing. And he said, I always ask him one question, when did you quit your quiet time? And he said, I've found never, never have I found an exception. They always have quit before they move out into sin. Now, every day you live, you need to read the Bible and you need to pray. And I promise you, you're going to hear some things in your university classes this year that are not right. You're going to hear some things that are not true. Now, he may have a Ph.D., but he's a total ignoramus when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to the spiritual things of God. And you better be able to go to the Bible and look at what the Bible says and see if what that professor says is true. And there are areas in which perhaps he's not telling the truth. And you need to know that. And you need time every day to read the Bible, to pray, to increase in the knowledge of God, to learn certain great truths, to develop depth of life and godly character. And in order to do that, every day you live, you need to read the Bible and pray. There's another <clears throat> policy that you need to have in your life, and that's the ministry in the lives of other people. As long as you live, you'll never have greater opportunities for reaching people for the Lord than you have as a student. I mean, out on this campus, you can walk over here tonight, there are thousands of students there you're basically your own age. They speak your own language. God has put them in, on so few acres so you can get to them. And you're never going to have a greater opportunity for spiritual ministry than you have now. You're never going to have a greater opportunity to learn how to minister than you have right now. And God didn't send you to the school just to get an education. He told you if you're a believer, to go into all the world and make disciples. <clears throat> and Jesus didn't say as he stood on the hill that day, go into all the world and make disciples once you finish the university. I mean, that's your task now. If you're a Christian, you don't take a four-year vacation while you're in school. One of the greatest opportunities you'll ever have to make disciples is right now. You not, not only what you do in the lives of other people, but what you learn. I use things every week I live that I learned when I was a college student trying to have a ministry on a college campus. So God sent you here on a mission. Help some people. And God gave you a promise. He probably told Matthew to write this down, especially for university students. He said, if you seek to gain your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will keep it. And I have seen that promise fulfilled every year on this campus since before most of you freshmen were born. A student comes. For example, here's one. He comes to school. He's going to have a blast. He hits the parties. He pledges. A fraternity or sorority, he gives his money to help sponsor beer parties. He dates. He goes all out to have a blast. But you know what? He marries someone who has his same value system. 
and eventually his marriage ends in a divorce, his life is a mess, he becomes a problem drinker or whatever else, what other, whatever set of problems he happens to pick up, he sought to keep his life and he lost it. He would not give his life to Jesus Christ for safekeeping. And now he's lost his life. Then there's a student who comes to the University of Oklahoma. Maybe they're not all that talented. Maybe they're not all that smart. Maybe they're not all that good looking. They're not all that rich. But they decide what they want out of life. They decide something in life is more important than parties. They decide something in life is even more important than grades, though grades are important. They decide something is even more important than dates. Can you imagine? (laughs) They believe that a life committed to Jesus Christ is what is important. So they decide to pay the price. They attend meetings that will help them. They study the Bible. Maybe they give up their spring break to go to Colorado to a beautiful retreat setting and get some help in their Christian life. They begin to take leadership. They begin to want to be a Bible study assistant or a leader, a dorm leader, a floor leader. They help other students to grow, and they give their lives to helping make disciples at Oklahoma University. And you know what? God gives them grades and dates and fun and fellowship and a deep abiding joy and a ministry as they see other students' lives changed. And eventually he gives them a beautiful marriage and godly children and homes and cars and vacations and fun and a great eternity. And they do live happily ever after in eternity. What do you want? Do you want a full life of joy and peace and meaning? You can have it. I mean, you can buy that insurance policy to provide that if that's really what you want. But there's a price. Now, for those of you that are here tonight and you've never trusted Christ... You can accept him here tonight, if you will. If you're willing, Jesus Christ has been standing at your heart's door and knocking. And he says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can come to know him. And I would encourage you to do that before you sleep tonight. Just pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and give your life to him. If there's any of us here that can help you, we would be delighted to do that. And then for those of you that are Christians, will you make a once-for-all commitment of your life to him? You know, when Paul wrote Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He was writing to Christians, and the tense of the verb there is, do it once for all. He says, once and for all, will you commit yourself to Jesus Christ? Will you pray about joining us here <clears throat> and allowing us the privilege of trying to help you to become a man or woman of God. Freshman, I doubt that you have anything better to do 
than be a part of a freshman ministry team or upperclassmen. You'll still have plenty of time to study if you'll become a part of a discipleship team, and we'll be telling you more about that later. And all of you can join a Bible study. You can come to Vespers. You can go to church and Sunday school. You need to be part of a bigger fellowship other than just this group. And I would encourage you to do that. Now let's pray together. Father, I pray that tonight we would make decisions that would help keep us off the casualty list. Father, every single one of us here tonight can look around and just from the limited experience we've had in life, we can see lives and we know the lives of people who made wrong decisions and now their lives are a mess. Father, help us to make right decisions. I thank you, Lord, that we can live a balanced life. There's plenty of time for us to study, for us to do fun things in life, for us to grow spiritually. Father, you don't want us to be overbalanced in any one area. You want us to live a balanced life under the control of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for these that are here tonight that you would so work in their life and so help them to grow that eventually, Father, they would bring great honor and glory to your name, that someday they could have beautiful marriages and you would use them to raise godly children. And, Father, that they might enjoy much that you have for them in this life. But, Father, I pray, too, that we would not seek to keep our lives, but we would lose them for your sake. And, Lord, you have given us a promise that if we will give our lives to you and lose our lives for your sake, pour our lives out in worship of you and learning of you and helping other people, then, Lord, you've promised that you would keep our lives not only here but for all eternity. Father, I pray for that student here tonight that's never really come to know you. I pray that in the quietness of their own heart, they would invite you in. And, Father, get the help they need and become a person that you intended for them to be. And, Father, for those of us here that know you, I pray that we would live to bring honor and glory to you, to grow and to reach out to others. Father, thank you for your goodness towards us. Thank you that we live in a nation where there's so many good things. But, Father, help us to always set our eyes on you and love you and love people. And then take these things that you give us and use them, but never clutch them tightly to ourselves. Father, thank you for what you'll do in the lives of people here. Oh, Father, protect us and help us because we prayed in your name. Amen.